Texas voters will soon decide which Democrat faces Ted Cruz in November. We're going in-depth with the top two candidates. I'm proud to have been uh, the most bipartisan member of the Texas delegation. And I want to be a senator now uh, for this state that's given me so much. Their views on the issues and how they hope to make a difference representing you. We've got to change this world. We've got to do something better for my kids and everyone's kids out there. Plus, we hear from the man they're trying to defeat. Nobody can watch the chaos at our southern border and defend it, which is why the Democrat strategy is pretend it doesn't exist. Senator Ted Cruz gives insight into his ideas on immigration and the border on this special edition of State of Texas. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. Early voting starts Tuesday for the Texas primary. One of the closest watched races on the ballot is the Democratic campaign for U.S. Senate. We had planned to host a televised debate in this race. Our parent company, Nexstar, outlined specific criteria for which candidates could be on the debate stage. Among the requirements, candidates had to raise at least $50,000 in campaign contributions. Also, they had to receive at least 5% support in a major poll of Texas voters. Of the nine candidates on the ballot, two qualified for the debate stage, Dallas Congressman Colin Allred and San Antonio State Senator Roland Gutierrez. The televised debate has not happened, so before early voting begins, we decided to take a different approach on behalf of Texas voters. I spoke to both Allred and Gutierrez in separate interviews in the past few days. We asked them similar questions. We're going to play their answers back to back to give you a chance to compare the candidates, starting with their thoughts on immigration policy. You've talked about the need for comprehensive immigration reform, and so have the other candidates in this race. But for you, what does comprehensive immigration reform mean? What policies does that entail? Yeah, well, I think it has to be bipartisan. And I'm signed on to and worked with Veronica Escobar on a bipartisan bill called the Dignity Act uh, that I think is a, a really um, good way forward for us to show that we can do a uh, number of things at once. Number one, we have to secure the border. Uh, that's something that every country has to do, and this uh, bill would allow us to do that. But we also need to better match our immigration system to meet the needs of our economy. And that's something I hear from employers all the time. Uh, and we want to be a country that can still attract and retain the top talent from around the world. And with our broken system right now, it's making it harder for us to do that. And then, of course, we need to have a pathway out of the shadows for folks who've been here who are undocumented uh, to find a way forward for them, and particularly to protect our dreamers. To me, those are the kind of three pillars of what we know a bipartisan immigration uh, reform is going to look like. We haven't done uh, comprehensive reform since the Reagan era. It's time for us to get that done now. You've talked about the need for comprehensive immigration reform and still have other candidates in this race. But for you, what does comprehensive immigration reform really mean? What policies does that entail? Yeah, if you go to Roland for Texas, you'll see a five point plan. So first up, I'm the son of immigrants. I'm an immigration lawyer and I represent about 400 miles of this U.S. border, including Eagle Pass. And we've seen how Greg Abbott's theater set, movie theater set has come ebbed and flowed as far as migration. The fact is we've had migration patterns for 100 years and beyond in this state. We've got to fix our broken H-2A and H-2B visa system, incorporate a program like mine, a country of origin program that says that you apply for your job in El Salvador or Nicaragua or wherever, 
you go to the U.S. consulate, you go to a Department of Labor kiosk, you get background checked, and in 90 days, your new employer brings you to the United States, as is current law under H-2As and H-2Bs. These asylum seekers are not asylum seekers, they're job seekers. And every economist will tell you we need 30 million jobs to fill for jobs that Americans don't want to do. We are an aging country. We need to look at this in a real way and look at the other elements of my comprehensive immigration reform plan, and you'll see that it secures the border, fixes our economy, and safeguards Social Security. Yeah, let's drill down just a little bit there on that point. The push for immigration reform is a long process, obviously. For now, what immediate steps do you believe should be taken to alleviate concerns about people crossing the border? Well, I'll tell you what we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be signing resolutions like my opponent has done with crackpot Republicans calling Joe Biden an open borders president because that doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything, doesn't fix anything, doesn't acknowledge anything. That entire resolution was chock full of lies. We've got to do real things. And if so far as getting people away from the border, right now there was four people that crossed an Eagle Pass last week. A country of origin program solves those issues. If you look at the fifth point in my plan, we spend money on the DEA to go after cartels in Mexico. We did this in the 80s in Colombia, and we were successful at taking down the most dangerous cartels in the world. We can do that again in a real way, but we've got to expand visas. We've got to look at how we train the best and brightest in the world and then send them back home. Your opponent, Roland Gutierrez, has uh, criticized you for joining Republicans to condemn President Biden's handling of the border. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, I think that in that vote, uh, I was saying that I can't stand for the status quo, that I don't think it's acceptable. Uh, and when we have a record number of crossings, as we did last December, we know that something has to change. Uh, and I think that uh, for us, in, as Texans, we have to acknowledge that there is a crisis, and now we have to respond to it. We don't have to respond by being inhumane or by being brutal, but we do have to do something. And that's where my biggest criticism is of Senator Cruz, uh, which is that he wants to talk about uh, the problem at the border, uh, but he doesn't want to actually solve it. When he had a chance uh, recently here in the United States Senate to have a, a bipartisan deal to try and address what was happening at the border, uh, he didn't want to vote for it, not because of the policy, but because he wants to have the political issue to run on in November. I'll never put politics over what's best for our state when I'm in the Senate. Coming up, the deadly conflict highlights a divide for the candidates. We'll hear their differing approaches to the Middle East. But first, fear and frustration after more high-profile incidents of gun violence, how the top candidates for Senate have their sights set on solutions. And later, we hear from the man the Democrats want to beat, one-on-one -on -one with Senator Ted Cruz, ahead on State of Texas. Gunfire inside a Houston megachurch, a mass shooting at Kansas City's Super Bowl celebration, students shot in an Atlanta high school parking lot. Just the latest round in what seems to be a never-ending series of gun violence in our country. The frequency of shootings brings out both fear and frustration over a lack of solutions. I asked the top Senate candidates how they would work to reduce gun violence. Gun violence is now the leading cause of death uh, for children in our country. As a potential senator from this state, how do you see yourself advancing gun safety measures? Well, I'm also a father of a five and nearly three-year-old, uh, and this is something that I think every parent uh, thinks about constantly, is how can we protect our kids? Uh, and I'm also a fourth-generation Texan. I recognize uh, and have grown up around folks who taught me about responsible gun ownership. I think that's who we are as Texans. 
Uh, but we have to get back to that. And we have to have some, I think, common sense and broadly supported bipartisan ideas that can allow us to both reduce gun violence and also respect the Second Amendment uh, and understanding who we are as Texans and our values. And to me, that begins with universal background checks, uh, doing something about high-capacity magazines, raising the age to purchase a semi-automatic rifle, and putting in place red flag laws for folks who have been found to be a danger to themselves or others. These are all common sense ideas that we know we can get done right now and can build on what we did uh, after the tragedy in Uvalde uh, with the Safer Communities Act, which was for the first time in 30 years, we did do something at the federal level to try to address gun violence. You touched on this point earlier, and obviously it's been a big focus for you, especially uh, in recent times after Uvalde, but gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children in our country. As a potential senator from this state, how do you see yourself advancing or advocating for gun safety measures? Well, I've exhausted myself talking about guns. You see, Josh, I've seen all of those kids dead. I sued the government. I needed to see where the failure was. And when I signed on the dotted line of their non-disclosure agreement, I got 400, hundreds of hours of body cam footage. And I've seen every cop when they say there's an AR-15, there's an AR-15, there's an AR-15. They were afraid of the gun. And so I will ta exhaust myself talking to people across this nation about how cops are in fear of an AR-15 and why we need an assault weapons ban with certain exceptions. The fact is, you're right. It's the leading cause of death of children in the world. We lead the world. We can change that. We can fix that. Those kids died like we trained them. Shut the lights off, close the curtains, go huddle together. They died in two piles in one classroom with one teacher dead on top trying to shield her kids, one barely living. She died in an ambulance outside of that classroom, outside of that school, because so many cop cars would cause so much congestion they couldn't get her out of there. As the death toll rises in Gaza, calls for ceasefire keep growing. How that's spotlighting divisions among the top Democrats in the race for Senate. Plus, we hear from the man they're trying to defeat. What is happening at our southern border is an utter catastrophe. It is a crisis. Senator Ted Cruz gives insight into his ideas on immigration and the border. The deadly conflict in Gaza is highlighting division within the Democratic Party. As the civilian death toll rises, calls for a ceasefire grow. But some see those calls conflicting with Israel's fight to defend itself after the October 7th attacks. The top Democrats in the U.S. Senate primary have clashed over this ceasefire issue. I asked them about their differing positions. If you were sitting with President Biden in the Oval Office now, what would you recommend he do about the civilian death toll in Gaza and the risk of wider war in the Middle East? My opponent says that Israel should keep bombing. I have called for a ceasefire on this station over six, seven weeks ago. And I'll continue to do that. It's a very short-sighted view to say that Israel can go on and keep bombing. The fact is, Israel and the Middle East is a powder keg. And you have to understand Lebanon, you have to understand Yemen, and you have to understand Iran. And you have to understand that this is World War III if we don't stop it. Benjamin Netanyahu is not Yitzhak Rabin. He's never wanted peace, ever. We must have peace in the Middle East, and this president must exhaust himself to do that. We must not give more aid to Israel unless they show us a plan for immediate peace on how we're going to stop this madness. You know, killing 30,000 people doesn't bring justice to those 1,200. And you should still be able to go in a police-like manner and hunt those people down. But you shouldn't bomb 
women and children with impunity like they have done over and over again for the last four months. If you were sitting in the Oval Office right now with President Biden, what would you recommend he do about the civilian death toll in Gaza and the risk of wider war in the Middle East? Well, I think the President and the Secretary of State are working very hard right now to try and find uh, a solution uh, that leads to uh, you know, a ceasefire of some kind in exchange for the release of hostages uh, and an agreement uh, that leaves Hamas no longer in a position to be able to conduct an attack like they did on October 7th. Uh, but I am, like everyone, uh, heartbroken uh, about uh, when you see civilian casualties in Gaza, just as I was heartbroken about what happened uh, to the Israeli people on October 7th, which was the deadliest day uh, for the Jewish people uh, since the Holocaust. And we have to find, I think, as our role as the United States is to help shape what comes next, both in Gaza uh, and uh, for a potential Palestinian state. Uh, and that, to me, has to be the end goal, uh, that we have a peaceful and independent Palestinian state next to a safe, secure, stable, democratic and Jewish state in Israel. Uh, that, to me, has to be uh, the end state that we try to work towards. You know, there is a lot of concern about the state of democracy, and many people of all political beliefs think that the country is on the wrong path. And our elected leaders get a lot of that blame. To any Texan watching, why are you the candidate that they should put their trust in? Well, I'm, I'm not a career politician. I'm a former NFL linebacker uh, and a lawyer and somebody who's a fourth generation Texan. Uh, and I think I know who we are. Uh, and I, we're not who Ted Cruz says we are. We're not as divided as he makes us out to be. We're not as divided as you see on cable news at night. Uh, that's not the Texas that I know. Uh, the Texas that I know is one that helped a kid who was raised by a single mom uh, chase his version of the American dream, going to my local YMCA, relying on my teachers and my coaches. Uh, we are a state that can come together and do incredibly big things. But we have to have leadership in place that understands that and tries to nurture that, not that tries to pit us against each other. And unfortunately, Ted Cruz has been doing that for 12 years, and we can't afford six more years of it. So I'm asking for folks' support, asking for your vote, I want to serve you in the United States Senate. Right now, there is a lot of concern about the state of our democracy. Uh, many people of all political beliefs think the country is on the wrong path, and our elected leaders get a lot of that blame. To any Texan watching, why are you the candidate that they should vote for and put their trust in you? I think people are frustrated. They're so frustrated. I ran into a woman named Antonia Molina in Harlingen. She's in her 70s, living on $760 a month in Social Security. How in the world are you, she supposed to make ends meet with that? It's an impossibility. You have people that are frustrated trying to figure out how they're going to send their kids off to college, how they're just going to pay the out-of-pocket medical bills. Um, you know, all of those frustrations are not answered by anybody in Congress. You've got Washington politicians that just want to stay there and go to the steak dinner with the lobbyists. You know, this I'm 53 years old. I'm not 42 like my opponent. This is an ambition for me. We've got to change this world. We've got to do something better for my kids and everyone's kids out there. This isn't about personal gain. It has to be about how we are going to change this state in this country for the good of all. And I believe I've done that. 
There's much more to my conversations with the candidates. We posted the complete interviews online and you can hear their ideas for ensuring access to health care and abortion, along with their thoughts on term limits and legislation affecting the state's electric grid. You can find those interviews now in the State of Texas section of our website. You've heard from the top Democrats. Now hear from the man they're trying to defeat in the race for Senate. Senator Ted Cruz gives insight into his ideas on gun violence and the border, next on State of Texas. Few people in politics are more polarizing than Ted Cruz. The Texas senator is known as a fierce partisan, and we see that in the way he approaches key issues. Our Ryan Chandler spoke one-on-one -on -one with Senator Cruz about his views on immigration as he prepares to face an election challenge. Still no progress towards um, what every Republican agrees is the top priority, uh, better securing the border. Is this something that we need to get done uh, before this election? And, and how do you think the politics of the election year are influencing the debate in Washington? What is happening at our southern border is an utter catastrophe. It is a crisis. I spend a lot of time at the border. I go down to the border over and over and over again. I bring a lot of my colleagues down. I bring a lot of other senators down because I think until you see it with your own eyes, you can't really understand. I promise you, folks listening at home, if you haven't gone and seen it as bad as you think it is, it is worse. When I bring senators down to the border, I'll go with, midnight, with border patrol, we'll go out on midnight patrol. And when you go out on midnight patrol, you don't actually look for illegal aliens. They look for you. Within minutes of being out on patrol, you will have groups of illegal aliens come up to you and they will turn themselves in. They affirmatively turn themselves in to the border patrol. Why is that? Because when they do so, the Biden administration will send them to whatever city they want to go. They know that once they turn themselves in, Joe Biden has put in place catch and release, which means they get to stay here. You know, I've been on those patrols with Border Patrol yeah. as well, um, and it is harrowing. It is a crisis uh, j just to see how they are inundated and, and, and trying to help as best they can. But one of the things that they stress is that we need to uh, stem the flow of migrants. They're simply overwhelmed yep. um, and they need more resources. Uh, the bill that uh, just failed in Congress, you voted against, would have uh, provided a mechanism to um, turn off that flow uh, at, at certain levels. It would have provided more resources to Border Patrol. Why was that not the answer? The bill that the Democrats drafted was a terrible bill. This bill, number one, would not have fixed the problem. But number two, it would have even made it worse. So understand, the Democrats do not want to secure the border. So they were not willing to agree to anything that actually would secure the border. Here's what this bill would do. It would codify, it would put into law Joe Biden's open borders. It would codify catch and release. Right now, when the Biden administration release, releases illegal immigrants they're apprehending, they're violating the law. This bill would have said, nope, perfectly okay to let them go. Not only that, it codifies catch and release. It provides immediate work permits to the illegal aliens that are being released. It provides lawyers paid for by the taxpayers. The Biden administration uh, and their handling of the border is not a result of incompetence or policy failure. You say it is deliberate. That's exactly right. uh, on what evidence do you, do you make the argument that, that he, President Biden wants this to happen? Because he is saying that he wants to solve this just as much as anybody, and he says you need to give him a bill to do it. 
Well, ex except the facts are to the contrary. Let, let, let's review the facts. When Joe Biden became president, he inherited the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. Working hand in hand with President Trump, we had made enormous progress securing the border. It was working. All Joe Biden had to do was nothing. He literally had to just don't screw it up. And instead he did the opposite. His first week in office, understand this is deliberate. His first week in office, he made three decisions. He immediately halted funding of the border wall, shut it down on day one. Number two, he reinstated catch and release, the policy that when someone's apprehended, they get let go. And number three, the most damaging, he pulled out of the Remain, Remain in Mexico agreement, which had produced tremendous results. It's why we had the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. And what were the results? Literally overnight, we went from the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years to the worst in history. Those were three unilateral decisions. And Ryan, what that means, Joe Biden could solve this problem tomorrow. There's much more to Ryan's interview with Senator Cruz. We posted the whole thing online. You can find it now in the State of Texas section of our website. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle, and we'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.